Exactly. They buy on their timeline. You cannot force your timeline on them. That's what I learned over time. It's like it's just like how it's the kids. I come to realize I'm a mom, right? And I have two boys, right? And the boys will learn in their timeline, not my timeline. Same thing applied to actually salespeople. Salespeople will learn in terms of how they need to adjust their sales methodology, sales process when their timeline is right. That also applies to a customers, right? Especially B two B customers, they buy on their on their timeline. But you need to be patient and you need to be there. And when they are ready to buy, you are there. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the founders who have successfully scaled their own businesses. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Pam Dinner. Pam is an author, speaker, podcaster, adjunct professor, marketing strategist, and a Fortune 100 marketer. She leads a boutique consulting firm that trains, coaches, and provides strategic guidance on sales enablement and marketing alignment. This was a really interesting discussion, specifically in the areas of marketing and sales enablement, and you think of that as you know revenue growth. The majority of Pam's career has been spent on the enterprise level, but she shares her point of view on how startups can avoid many of the pitfalls that plague much larger organizations. We touched on a number of topics, including why do you hire first I should say, who do you hire for sales or marketing? This answer might surprise you. The power of word of mouth referrals, how startups should think about sales enablement and what it is, how to think about and execute account-based marketing plans, why there are only two types of qualified leads and the buyers are buying on their own schedule, not yours. Before I take you into the intro, and if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you like, subscribe, and share the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms so we can help grow the podcast. Also, please make sure to check out the new free resources page on brettrainer.com forward slash resources for downloads, promos, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Like I said, right, the general definition tend to be sales onboarding and sales training. And when I'm looking at sales enablement, I'm literally looking at from marketer's perspective, what can marketing do to actually support and enable sales better? And uh, with that being said, on the startup front, uh, with a uh, limited amount of fundings and the resources, many founders or even um, uh, CEOs and new CEOs, when they are starting their company, they always struggle. Okay, so we need to obviously market our products. And uh, should we build our marketing teams or should we kind of grow our sales team first? My recommendation to anyone, especially to start up their uh, products, obviously, you're going to get your um, product to a point that's somehow ready called MVP, minimal viable products. The most important thing from my perspective is actually hire the sales rep. If you have a product ready, it's actually have the sales rep to be able to sell your product and talk about your product. From my perspective, marketing should come much later. Like you actually get several clients in the pocket that they are testing your products, they are buying, they are paying you. Try to get that first so you actually have some revenue streams that's coming in you know even during that time you know uh, for the, um, the founders and the entrepreneurs 
that you you need to be scrappy, right? So the sales rep that you hire, they not only need to sell, they probably have to create their own sales collaterals and sales presentations and everything else in on top of it, ramping the sales platforms. So with that being said, you know, try to get the sales organization to the point that you have uh, several teams and in place and they are trained and also they have a tools that support them to document all their sales stages and sales cycle. Get that done first and get uh, several deals in the pocket before you invest anything on the marketing side. That's yeah. usually my uh, recommendation to all the startups. Yeah, and I, I like the the approach because in the early days, it is all about, you know, the learning, right? Learning about the customer, learning about the market, learning about the positioning, you know, what's resonating, what's the customer and what's not. You can, you know, you can have all the theory you want sitting behind your desk and mapping out, you know, PowerPoints, but until you actually have the conversations with the customers and really understand their pain points, it doesn't make a ton of sense to invest you know, thousands or hundreds or tens of thousands of dollars into, you know, paid advertising if you don't even know what your your messaging is. I 100% agree. And especially for SaaS-based platform. And I think the best marketing is basically word of mouth and the referrals. You know, especially if your product have, say, a three, D, uh, three different tier of pricing, uh, you know, majority of SaaS-based platform, they do, right? You actually have right. a, probably a free version of it and you have a, a version that's a slightly higher and maybe that's for SME and then you might have an enterprise version of it. And you need to actually, the, the marketing may come in from the perspective that if you decided to give like a freemium, type of offering, then you need to make sure that your website is, uh, it can enable that sales service and that people can sign in, people can get themselves uh, on board and then, and then buy your product. But on the enterprise side, where what I think the sales enablement tend to play has the most value and um, that has a lot to do with uh, sales training and also working from marketing sides, you work directly with sales uh, team and to tackle specific accounts. But of course, that, you know, that has a lot to do with for the founders and the entrepreneurs that you reach to the point that you have a several enterprise account that you want to tackle it together. Right. And that makes sense. And the one part I just want to go back, and I think it, it's a great I don't know, distinction, but as you're looking for that first sales rep, you know, for your startup or a growing company, maybe you've been around for a while looking to expand, is getting someone that can really be collaborative and help you build, right, what that material and the messaging is going to be versus mm-hmm, maybe who's mm-hmm. someone's brand new that hasn't been through the process and, you know, needs the information in order to sell. So I think it's, you know, kind of the, what you're looking for in that first sales rep may be different than when you're starting to scale the business and you're going to bring three, four, five, or six different sales reps, right? They really have to be a part of the, the build-out process of what eventually becomes the marketing collateral, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, that uh, one thing that sales enablement should do is help the sales team to scale, right? And when the marketers, especially on the B2B side, uh, I always, I'm a firm believer that uh, marketing should stay very close to sales. Granted, uh, the marketings need to do the top of the funnel and uh, the outbound outreach. And that's all great and all. But uh, at a certain point, it's very, very important to demonstrate value 
or the contribution of the marketing. And the best way to demonstrate that is you actually have a very strong tie with the sales team. That you can quantify some of the marketing effort really does help closing deals. Right. Otherwise, it's very, very hard to demonstrate a marketing's value if you only focus on top of the funnel. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unless you can show how top of the funnel really, really focus on facilitating, you know, the prospecting down to the next sales stage or the next engagement. That's pretty much from MQL to SQL. If you can demonstrate that, great. But still, that is still a close tie with the sales team. Right. Uh, I have not found any other way to really demonstrate the marketing's contribution and also uh, marketing's ROI unless it's closely tied with the sales team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think one of the things that I fought for a while and you're still fighting is, you know, trying to break those silos and get people less worried. And I know you have to measure it from an attribution and, you know, who is responsible and, you know, I'd love to get your perspective. I think this day and age with the way buyers are purchasing, right? They're online, they're looking at the marketing material. They're hopefully having a conversation with, you know, either a sales rep or a business development rep that they're aligned and it's kind of a unified experience versus, you know, the, the attribution piece. Are you seeing that getting better or is that still something that, that's a challenge for a lot of organizations? I think it's still a challenge for a lot of organizations, uh, regardless the size of an organization. The reason I said that is, if you think about it, the sales and marketing that uh, even though they have overarching revenue goal, right? I'm not saying that uh, the marketing people or marketing team needs to take on the revenue goal and own the quota. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if you look at the company as a whole, there's always an overarching revenue goal that the whole company needs to work together and strive to achieve, even though the sales uh, people are carrying that quota. But it's basically every single organization needs to work together to support that and make things happen, including marketing team. Yeah, you won't say it, but maybe I will. (laughs) I'm I'm a big believer in that shared revenue goal. And even if it, you break out the demand generation activities from yes, the branding. You I 100% agree with you. So now you hit the, the next things I want to I want to talk about. Like I said, when, when you say co-share, I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, can you break down that co-sharing into something that's tangible that the marketer can actually relate to? Right. right. If you say, oh yeah, let's co-share the revenue of $5 million. But what does that really mean for marketing? Right. Because they are not the one going to close the sales. So can we break down that $5 million into a small chunk that, hey, for that, can you, you know, uh, bring like a high quality prospect, you know, or can we work together on account-based marketing? Or can we actually support the team to create a customized sales collateral? You know, there got to be some specific activities that marketing do can actually support or indirectly support that revenue goal. You need to break that down and then be very specific and make sure sales also agree with that. So like I said, a lot of time to tie that and the marketing tend to take kind of like the, the goal for MQL or the goal for the inbound leads that they drive because that's probably most, uh, that's closest or quantifiable type of metrics that the salespeople can relate to. But I think they are more than that. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Like even if you work with them, you the, the marketing people work very closely with the sales team on the created very customized integrated campaign to target to a specific uh, segment, to target a group of individuals with a specific account, for example. That should be counted as well and marketing should take credit. But you need to determine what that is and I'm not saying that you should have over 20 metrics. That's not my point. Right. Again, what are a couple of the top three metrics that you want to measure and uh, that salespeople agree? Yeah. The most important I, thing is the salespeople need to agree. Yeah, everybody's got to be bought in. Yeah. If they're not, then it's going to yeah, be... Yeah, then it a, doesn't make any sense. And exactly. also, how is that goal tracked? Is it using Salesforce or is it, is it using Marketo, which is the marketing automation tool? That also needs to be agreed. What I have come to realize, just like I look at a, you know my uh, website traffic, right? The website traffic when I saw on the Google Analytics, it's not necessarily the same when I saw on the Facebook. Even though they said on the Facebook, they say, oh, we, you know, we drive the traffic to your website and it's 3,000. But when I look at the Google Analytics, it's always like 2,500 or 2,998. They are not 100% exactly matched. So in addition to agree on the sales goal, both sides also need to agree what system that we are going to track that specific number. Is that helpful? Because, yeah. they, you know, if salespeople decide to track on Salesforce and you decide to track on something else, you will never align. Agreed. And, and one of the things I'm actually working on a, a white paper, maybe it's just giving me more of a blog post kind of talking about, you know, the key metrics that, you know, founders or business owners should be looking at. And, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on this at, at a high level one or two that I think are, you know, just the cost of doing business is, you know, CAC or how much does it cost to acquire a new customer? Yes. And cost, then customer yeah, lifetime value. value. Or, Mm -hmm. that you can't argue with. But then I'm a big fan of the ratios because I think those can be an indicator of where something may be broken. So for example, if we looked at um, web traffic to inquiries and then inquiries to a qualified lead and then qualified Mm -hmm. lead to conversion. So what are some of the key metrics that you would strongly suggest, especially as people are trying to drive towards a revenue number? where, Where should they be focused? I think you hit the core on some of the key things. I 100% agree in terms of ratio and the the term I use is conversion rate. I think looking at the conversion rate like through through the funnel. For example, you know, how how what's the conversion rate from MQL to SQL and the for SQL how many turn into opportunities from opportunity how many of them actually is a deal won or deal lost. So for I'm just making a very high level and simple. I think sure. looking at conversion rate is actually very very important. However, over a period of time, what I have noticed, especially when I look at the historical trending information, that the conversion rate, if you have a big enough samples, that you, the conversion rate doesn't change very much. Does that make sense? Yeah, like a lot of times we'll say the industry benchmark is like if you get one NQL, you know, get 1,000 NQL, usually the one that eventually leads to deal, uh, deal one is about 1% or even 0.5%. So even I tested that with myself and also a couple of the clients, you know, that conversion rate from like your, your top of the funnel down to the bottom of the funnel, it tend to be about one to 2%. 
that's because the top when when the people that come to you, you know, and uh, depending on where they are at the different sales stage of the engagement journey, they probably just started looking. And also the purchasing cycle may be long on the B2B side of things. But what I have noticed, and you know what? If anybody is listening and uh, and feel like the, my number of the one to two percent or even lower is wrong, send me a quick email and let me know. What I have noticed is tend to be when, like I said, when your sample is big enough that what I have seen from multiple clients tend to be around that number. But of course, that percentage of a conversion actually different depending on what kind of marketing channel that you use. Sure. Right? For yeah. example, if you actually get the MQL directly from events and you already have a multiple conversation with this person and there's a couple of nurturing emails that has been done, you know, for that specific type of campaigns, your conversion rate is substantially higher. And, uh, but is somebody that you never heard of and you bought the list and you reach out to them, that conversion rate might be lower. But I'm talking about it doesn't matter what uh, communication that we use in the aggregate level, I see it probably 1% or less. Okay. So Which what I'm trying to say is, yes, look at the conversion is good. But once you have the baseline that, you know, based on your past experience or based on the, the one or two years worth of data, you have a baseline in terms of what the conversion rate should be when you look at the ratio, then what you need to do is you need to adjust. Like moving forward in terms of your conversion rate is higher and lower that number. You need to somehow adjust your marketing effort or the outbound effort as you see fit. Right. And or even in some cases, you know, the training effort, right? So if, totally agree. If, yeah. Interesting. And, you know, one of the areas, you know, I just had a, a client not too long ago, we were talking about this, that to your point on marketing qualified leads to close, you know, where I encouraged them to take a, a deeper look was MQL, the conversion rate from marketing qualified lead to sales accepted lead. Yeah. And if there's SAA. a massive disconnect between those two, then there's a, a lack of agreement on what's a qualified I lead. 100% right? agree with, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. And is any best practices of how to bridge that gap? Is it just bringing the two groups together and agreeing on what the definition is? Because it doesn't do anybody any good to waste time on, you know, leads that aren't going to convert. So the better you can get on both sides identifying, the more efficient you'll be. Yes. So there are a couple of things. I have a thought about that, actually. I feel, you know, for a long time, and I'm a marketer, and I'm not saying this, that every single marketer um, is doing it. That's not my point. So please don't take it the wrong way if you are listening. <laughs> Do we know <laughs> I personally think that the MQL definition needs to be very concrete. Okay, it's not necessarily based on, oh, this person probably consumes seven pieces of content at a much higher uh, funnel. Okay, I'm not talking about uh, the middle of the funnel. I'm talking about at a much higher uh, purchase funnel. Oh, they came to our website. They consumed seven pieces of content. The lead scoring is about 85. Therefore, we call it qualified lead. MQL. If I were a salesperson, you know, that, if you give me that lead, that doesn't tell me anything. Right. What I want, what I really want from this marketing people is, can you give me very, very, you know, like solid lead? And when I say solid lead, is, is not the people come to my website and consume seven pieces of content. I'm talking about is the people who come to my website, click on two things. One, I have a 1-800 number 
And this person actually called the 1-800 number and said, I want to talk to somebody in your company. To me, that's MQL. Solid. Because that person already called, knock on my door and say, guess what? I want to talk to somebody. Can I talk to your salesperson? That's very qualified. Right. Okay. The other one is somebody actually filled out the contact form. Again, it's not contact form to download white paper. Right. It's not my point. You can have that piece of, you can have that information. A person downloaded a white paper, but you can't pass that lead to a salesperson. You can't. Because that has not been qualified yet. Maybe you have inside salesperson that to qualify that. From my perspective, if somebody actually filled out a contact form, in that contact form specifically said, specifically said, I want to talk to a salesperson, then you pass that to a salesperson. So all of a sudden, what I'm trying to say here is then the marketing people need to understand now is a quality versus quantity discussion. You cannot give the salespeople, can't give 1,000 you know, MQL go, type of goal to a marketing people if you are looking for high qualified lead like that. Does that make sense? Then all of a sudden you need to look at the his, historical information that people come to a website and do these two things. You know, what is that number? Then make it reasonable for the marketing people that this is goal that you should take and whatever marketing effort that you do, can you make sure that the call to action is these two things. Call the 1-800 number or fill out a contact form to talk to a salespeople. Yeah, I could, I could not agree. Does, does that make sense? So yeah. this is, it, first of all, it's a quality versus quantity discussion. And second thing is, make your MQL so concrete that can be said in 10 words or less. That MQL is a person that actually call 1-800 number or fill out the contact form. Yeah. I mean, I think intent, right? The buyer intent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ready. it is. That's the intent right there, right? Then that makes sense. Even with that, you, the inside salespeople still need to qualify them because they may not be the right cust- uh, industry segments that salespeople want to talk to. Right. right now, the next level you are talking about further qualifying on the firmographic, on the overall fitness of that specific customers. Granted, if you are just startup, you don't really care. You want everybody to buy your product. So you don't have to really, you know, go through that. The fitness discussion of that company is that company is the ideal customer profile for me. Because at the initial stage of a startup is you just want to close the deal. Right. Well, then so be it. Right. And, and get and get smarter. And I think... You Over know, a period the, of time, yes. Right. And I think that the thing you bring up there is is really helpful. Maybe in the old days, when I say old days, three, four or five years ago, you know, the really good sales rep could get somebody that's kicking the tires and maybe poking around your offering or solution, you know, to buy. But I'd argue that, you know, 99% of the buyers are now controlling that journey and they'll tell you when they're... They're ready. Yeah, so totally. why force them onto a sales rep it? when yeah. they're not ready? Exactly. And they buy on their timeline. Right. You cannot force your timeline on them. That's what I learned over time. So like, it's just like how it's the kids. I come to realize I'm a mom, right? And I have two boys, right? And the boys will learn in their timeline, not my timeline. 
same thing applies to actually salespeople. Salespeople will learn in terms of how they need to adjust this sales methodology, sales process when the time when their timeline is right. That also applies to a customers, right? Especially right. B2B customers. They buy on their on their timeline. But you need to be patient and you need to be there. And when they are ready to buy, you are there. So. 100% agree. And, and, and I think that the, the easier you make it for the customer to buy, not even necessarily buy online, but find the information they're looking for to do their yeah. research, you know, the better the, the experience is going to be. So I think, you know, that's a good segue. And I know we're, we're starting to run short on time, but two other areas I want to touch with you. The first being the account-based marketing. You, you've talked about it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of times people think, oh, that's only for enterprise. But, you know, I'd kind of argue that you know, as a startup, you want to be as, as focused as you can be on the accounts that you're going after. So one, if you could touch on, you know, your, your thoughts on account-based marketing, and then two, maybe we could end on the difference between branding and performance marketing, if you will, and the importance mm-hmm. of branding mm-hmm. to a, to a growing organization. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. So the first question you want me to address is account-based marketing. Uh, how? Yeah. Yeah. You are. You brought a very good point, right? I mean, in terms of for account-based marketing, many when I say that, and many people will think that's actually applied to enterprise. But does that apply to you know the startup or even a growing a company? I think it does. And I always ask the people who come to me, especially the startup. And when they come to me and say, you know, if I do account-based marketing, am I narrowing my accounts? And uh, am I like, like only focused on specific accounts and I'm not looking, I'm not cast a wider net? That's also a legitimate concern. Sure. I get it. Because when you just start up and you want to close deals and you want to close deal as soon as possible. And I get all that. But I always tell my clients or the people who come to ask my opinion about this, I say, can you sit back? If you do sit back, obviously you starting this company and you create this product for somebody. You got to be somebody you have in mind when you created this specific product. You obviously create this not just for a specific person, probably a specific industry. So when you are creating that product subconsciously, you already define, you already define who your customer is. Okay? Obviously, right? So if that's the case, can you write it down, articulate who that customer is? It has to be somebody. You obviously, you created this for, then for that specific customers, now you identify that. Can you identify some of the key accounts you want to go after? Just start, you know, you're just starting up, identify top 20, top 25. You have limited amount of time, right? You have to start somewhere. So that's why I always encourage the startup, the high experience and seasoned sales rep that come in with some sort of connections, right? They're already in the industry for a while. They have people they can call. So they are not going to start from scratch. That's first. Right. And if you are a startup and you are taking on funding, well, leverage on the network of your VC firms. They know people, have them facilitate intros, have some of their contact be an early adapters. So that's how I would start. So if, I, if you started from that approach, in a way, you are doing account-based marketing. Right. Yeah, you it's are. a known entity. Right there known from the get-go. 
Yeah. And it's, it's easier. Yeah. One of the things I, maybe this is super simplistic, but you know, the way I like to describe it is you've got your, your first degree network, right? You and I know each other and we all know a certain amount of people, you know, they're going to buy from you because they know you. And if you tell the right story and then there's kind of that once removed, right? The next level of contacts that are still probably going to buy from reputation or relationship once you get to know them. But then there's an entire universe that you've got to reach that don't know you, don't know your offering, don't know you the problems that you're solving. But if you go after that universe first, you're missing, I don't know if you'd call it low-hanging fruit, but a good opportunity to move quicker based on, to your point, on, on word-of-mouth marketing and mm-hmm. your relationships, right? Yeah, true, true. Awesome. All right, so last but not least from the, the topics, I'd love to get your perspective on branding, branding versus, versus performance. Yeah. yeah. So I have my own point of view about that as well. Okay. Personally, I think branding is very important. I am not a branding person. I'm always a B2B marketers for Kazan inbound and outbound work. And I am the first one to tell everybody I am not creative. I, I follow the brain guy. I never create a brain guy myself. I think branding is very critical and I'm not limited my branding just basically say, oh, get a logo, get a tagline, okay, figure out your font and the typography and the, your, your image and that's it. From my perspective, branding is super critical initially that you want to pick a logo, you want to pick up, you know, even the name of your product and um, that is kind of catchy and uh, that will uh, resonate with your target audience. And I also believe the colors and the typographies and on the image and all that stuff is very critical, especially in the digital, uh, as a part of your digital presence and a part of digital marketing. So the bottom line is the way I see branding is kind of like, you know, how do you dress up your digital presence? All right. And uh, how do you make it look nice? That is such a great experience for your customer when they first come to, say, your website, when they first engage with you, say, at the event, when they first and uh, do a SEO, that uh, whatever product they search, that your, your, the product and also your website that can rank high organically, right? So from my perspective, the branding all provides value to everything I just said. However, the challenging about branding is very, very hard to measure the success, right? That's where majority of the salespeople and the sales team or even the CEO have a hard time with the marketing people. Because if you focus on tons of your effort and your marketing budget on the branding side, the creative, the logos and all that stuff, it's very hard to tie that into a specific type of uh, a metrics. Like, for example, if I have awesome website and I spend like $10,000 on it, how can I quantify that $10,000 to really drive the sales? I can't. I can't, right? But Unless I do some sort of inbound marketing, outbound marketing, and I, do, I make sure that that website is kind of like window dressing. It's set up very, very nicely that when people come to my website, they consume content. They, they click on 1-800 number. That's when, that's when I can show the value. So that initial spend on the branding is very hard to quantify, but the marketers need to educate their salespeople and also their CEO and all the senior staff. That kind of money needs to be spent as a fixed expenses. 
You cannot get away with, with that. Once that foundation is built, then all the marketing, outbound marketing, inbound marketing, the marketing that you do to drive SQL, drive MQL, to, and uh, facilitate people to top of funnel, use that to show that, you know, how one marketer can, can actually contribute to the sales or the company as a whole. To me, that's where performance marketing comes to play. Is that yeah. helpful? Yeah, no, and I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, the way I've been kind of encouraging people to, to look at it, and I think you're the one I heard say, you know, it takes seven touches, right, for, yeah. for messages to sink in. Yeah. And guess what? They're going to, if your website says something different than your salesperson Sales, saying, yep. It's you've lost and lost that more than likely you're not going to build that trust back. So I always, again, my over super simplified (laughs) perspective is right. I think with the branding, at least if you can get consistency in your messaging, that's consistency with you at a minimum, because folks, yeah, I I don't know about you, but if I have a conversation, you know, with you and I probably did this first time you and I chatted, I, you know, I went to your website to check out your background and guess what? It completely aligned with our conversation and you know what we're talking about today. But had it not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we may not we not be here. So yeah, I hundred percent agree with your point that it is, you know, kind of a fixed cost, but it's a cost of doing business that business. Yeah. You, I totally you, agree. You just yeah. have to. So Right. Awesome. And I think people need to understand there are certain fixed expenses on the marketing front that needs to happen. And they need to acknowledge that not every single penny you spend on marketing can tie with the performance marketing. And uh, it took me a long time to understand that as well. And I really, when I started my own business, I tried to force it. You know, all the money I spend, you need to have some sort of ROI. Otherwise, I I should not spend it. Right. Well, you know what? <laughs> I think my website needs to be updated. How can I quantify that ROI? It's hard. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So, I think this stickiness or maybe, I don't know, there's probably some way you can tie it, but I, I think that's right. If you can separate out the, the branding expense with the, the demand gen or the performance expense and just measure the ROI of those types of campaigns, understanding that there's a cost to doing business and you're just going to have to, I don't know, probably more art than science at this point of the you know, the value of the brand each of the businesses is probably going to vary. But I think that the big takeaway is understand that they're two different approaches and two different expenses and you can't bucket them together necessarily. Yes, I 100% agree with that assessment. That is very, very true. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, Pam. This has been very helpful and insightful. And I love the fact that you do have opinions and, you know, your point of view. And that's what makes this show fun is to get the... And I wouldn't say there's anything definitely unique. And you know, what I think is it's progressive in the sense of the way you got to think about it. You can't think about sales and marketing and sales enablement the way you did five years ago. Customers just sure. aren't going to, to align with it. So I think this was you know, very, very educational. I learned something and I'm sure the, the listeners have as well. But to, to close it out, I would like to you know, ask you two quick questions. I use these to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better on the personal side. Nothing sure. to too scary, but, uh, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> the first one is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? And that could be, you know, personal and business, you know, what is one thing that just, you know, really resonates with you? <sighs> you know, one thing I do highly recommend is if you actually are a founders or entrepreneur and, and you are really trying to, um, grow your company, your life is very, very hectic. 
And uh, you are, there's always something that you have to do. And uh, I would strongly suggest that you take time, take a break and uh, do something for yourself. Um, it doesn't matter. It's like you have to exercise or, you know, to alleviate that stress or just um, call somebody to vent. Um, make sure you have time for yourself. I think that's very important. And we don't do enough of that actually in our society. No, I think you're, you're, you're exactly right with that. And I think we could all do a, a little bit better. My later years, I'm starting to figure out that <laughs> you do have to, to take, if you don't take care of yourself, it's going to be harder to take care of your business and, and your customers. True. So Exactly. So I think that's great advice. And last but not least, if you could have only one more beverage, kind of think of it as a last meal, what would it be? Old-fashioned. Oh, no a kidding. Good, okay. good, high-quality bourbon and uh, old-fashioned. I love it. I love the fact that there was no hesitation with that. <laughs> <laughs> not even a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I finished the question, but that's... It was like, old-fashioned, come on, just make one for me now. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And it is Monday when we're recording it, so it's not even Friday, so that's awesome. Well, Pam, thank you very much. And one last thing, if uh, people want to learn more about you and reach out, where is the best place for people to find you? Excellent. Um, yeah, search me, Pam. Dittner.com, D-I-D-N-E-R is my last name. And first name is Pam, P-A-M. I have a podcast and it's called B2B Marketing and More. And uh, it's actually on your favorite uh, podcast platform. So simply just looking for Pam Dinner. And if you listen, if um, your preferred format of listening, uh, subscribe to my podcast. If your preferred format of consuming B2B marketing is through videos, I also have a YouTube channel. Again, simply enter Pam Dinner. You should be able to find my YouTube channel and subscribe if you can. Please, I need some love. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Listen, people, do it. And I would also highly encourage you to check out her podcast. It's you know, more of a short form, seven to 10 minutes, but yeah, always, very short, yeah. always educational and the, the topics vary. And it's very honest. I mean, I, I really appreciate your transparency with, with what you do. And, you know, if you get on a roll, you can knock out five or six episodes, you know, pretty quickly. So uh, highly encourage people to, to check out that podcast and all of what we just listed will be in the show notes. So you don't have to just search through it. We'll, we'll put it in the link, you know, when the show goes live. So thank you so much. Pam, thank you very much for your time. I enjoyed it uh, and have a great rest of your day. Thanks a lot. It was my, ple- my pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.